Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And today we're going to talk again about a subject that comes up every now and then, teenagers. (laughs) You know, they're moody, defiant, and sexually awkward. They have bad hair days, their voices change, and they take chances that uh, horrify us as parents. And let's be honest, they can be animals. And exactly, say my next guest, uh, biologist Barbara Natterson Horowitz, M.D., and science writer Catherine Bowers. And they're here to uh, help us better understand the behavior of our teenagers and compare that to adolescence behavior in a variety of other animals. And here's their bios. Dr. Barbara Natterson Horowitz, M.D., is a visiting professor at Harvard University in the Department of Human Evolutionary Biology, and she's also a professor of medicine and cardiology at UCLA, where she co-founded their evolutionary medicine department, and uh, uh, Catherine Bowers is a scientific, uh, science journalist who has taught uh, medical narrative and comparative literature at UCLA, and she's also a future tr- uh, true fellow at the New America in Washington, D.C., and was an editor of Zocalo Public uh, Square in Los Angeles. And together, Dr. Natterson Horowitz and Ms. Bowers have co-authored two books, uh, Zoo Ubiquity, and the a book that we'll talk about today, Wildhood, The Epic Journey from Adolescence to Adulthood in Humans and Other Animals. And hello, ladies, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you so much. We're really excited to be here to talk about everything, everything adolescence, wild animals, whatever you have. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm interested in your title of your book, Wildhood. Uh, you use that as a title. What exactly is wildhood as you define it? <laughs> oh, well, wildhood is the period of life across all species and back in evolutionary time between puberty and the emergence of a mature adult. So um, we we set out with the question to um, see whether there were patterns and shared behaviors between uh what we saw in human adolescence and um, other species. And what we learned was that there's incredible parallels and shared um, connections. And we we realized that there wasn't really a good word for that because when we talk about teenagers in humans, first of all, um, 13 to 19 is no longer really the definition of adolescence. If you, if yeah, you talk to neurobiologists. Earlier and, and for a lot of people it ends exactly, later. <laughs> exactly right. And and then also I'm sure we all know uh, human 
human beings who might be chronologically adult, but maybe not behaviorally adult. I've lived a few of those in my time. <laughs> I'm sure we all know someone. <laughs> uh, and uh, we just we wanted a term that would clearly uh, encompass um, the 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 physical changes of puberty, physical and brain yeah. changes um, that happen after puberty, and then uh, we made it more of a competency-based um, rubric for maturity, which are these four core competencies that we believe every animal needs to acquire. Yeah, that uh, was the next question I was going to ask you. What are these four competencies that uh, these adolescents must uh, master to uh, progress out of wildhood? <laughs> so th- these came out of our our study at um, at Harvard and at UCLA of uh, you know again the, the the common behaviors that we saw across species from really yeah. fish and reptiles through mammals and birds um, and they are how to stay safe from predators that want to eat you and exploiters that want to take advantage of you. Number yeah. two is how to navigate social hierarchies and find places in groups. Number three is. Uh, how to communicate sexuality and interpret the desire of others and potential mates. And then the yeah. fourth one is how to, basically how to leave the nest and fend for yourself. So yeah, um, feed it really boils down. Take care and yes. provide for yourself. That's exactly right. It, it really boils down to um, find, finding food is, um, is, a, is a, an imperative for any living creature. Um, and they don't all know how to do it the the moment they, they leave the nest. Oh, I thought you just went to the local grocery store. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, is the following statement true or false? Raging hormones and uh, rapidly changing teenage brains are unique to human beings. <laughs> I'm going to let Barbara take that one. Right. Well, um, yeah, no, it turns out they are not. And, um, you know, of course... The human brain is unique in all kinds of ways, but, you know, the brain of every species is unique. One of the things we found, however, was that across a very wide range of animal species, and, you know, we're talking about from fish to birds to other mammals, that um, the brains of animals that have gone through puberty but aren't yet mature adults um, are different. And they're different in ways that help them do the things they need to do to become mature adults. So it's um, not just humans. And And by the way, it's kind of interesting. Puberty itself, when you know those hormones start to kick in, it's really similar across species. And we even we even studied um, dinosaur puberty, and of course, we we had to call that chapter Jurassic puberty. Yeah. <laughs> we had fun you, with that. Did chapter. you uh, actually observe any dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Only not. their descendants. <laughs> well, through fascinating narratives throughout your book, you follow the adolescence of four very uh, unique members of the uh, animal kingdom. What are the four animals that you followed? I thought this was really uh, interesting. Oh well, yes. well, first of all, the four animals are all real life. Um, animals that were tracked by scientists over months and, in some cases, years um, in the wild. These scientists were studying them for other reasons, but Barbara and I went into their data and extrapolated and then synthesized the, um, the aspects that had to do with adolescence. 
in particular. And um, we have a uh, king penguin living off Antarctica uh, whose name is Ursula. And um, (laughs) and she one day has to dive into the ocean and face um, a leopard seal predator. Uh, We also have a spotted hyena named Shrink who lives in the Ngorogoro crater in Tanzania. Um, We have a humpback whale named Salt, who is now around 50 years old, but she's been sighted in the Gulf of Maine um, off of uh, Massachusetts for the past, uh, since about 1970s, and she commutes, (laughs) she migrates between uh, the Dominican Republic and the Gulf of Maine. And then finally, there was a European wolf named Slavic, who sets out one day on an adventure where he almost drowns and almost freezes to death and gets lost and then finally finds a new home just outside oh, wow. Corona after crossing the, the Italian Alps. Um, and and we, we should also point out that the names, uh, Ursula, Shrink, Salt, and Slavic, those were not names we made up. Those were the names that the scientists who were studying them gave to those particular animal individuals. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But we chose... We, yeah, we chose each of these. Um, we, we really wanted to have actual wild animal adolescents as a way of um, having readers identify with each one of them because all of us are Ursula the penguin, you know, jumping off, you know, for the first time leaving yeah, home and all of us have been. How, how you relate as a, the penguin jumps into the water with all those uh, leopard uh, sharks, or uh, seals, I guess they are. They're not sharks, but they're huge predators of penguins, and it, it's so much like how we jump off from our parents' home and in the perilous waters. We may not be eaten by a, a leopard seal, but <laughs> <laughs> we may be taken advantage of by uh, financially by a predator. We can uh, yeah, have uh, exactly. unsafe sex and end up uh, altering the uh, you know, radically changing our entire lives before we're ready to have kids. We can uh, become addicted to uh, drugs and other uh, unsafe things. We can also kill ourselves with reckless driving or injure ourselves severely. So there's a lot of predators, you might call it, out there. (laughs) So it definitely you know um i you know i love the i love the name of your podcast and i one of the things that um i was thinking about as i was you know getting ready for this interview was um you know in in middle age a lot of us are parents of adolescents um yeah. i know that i was and um it's a really stressful period for parents you know, having an adolescent kid and one of the hard things is when your when your kid is physically old enough to be outside of your direct care right when they're yeah you know, whatever it is, 13, 14, and they're off going to the mall with their friends, but they but they don't have experience. They're kind of, um, they're easy prey because they're they're maybe big in size but really low in experience. Yeah. And it it's dangerous for them, but it's so stressful for, for us parents. And I think what's fascinating in your book, you point out that there's a, really two universes where our teens are threatened, and one of them we don't know that much about. That's the the internet and the social media and all this kind of stuff that uh, when we were growing up it was either in its infancy or it didn't even exist so it's really tough as parents to uh, <laughs> let our kids go on so social media and, and I don't really know how to advise them since we're such novices ourselves usually we um we have a 
some interesting ideas for that that maybe Barbara can get into in a second for um, for navigating social media with yeah. with teens. Um, but it was really interesting for us to realize that there's all the you know the physical um, meaning for safety, status, sex, and self reliance. But then yeah. all four of those have to be experienced in the digital world as well. Safety from you know tr- trolls and predators, status navigating on social media platforms, expressing sexuality online that can be very difficult for people yeah. um, or or it can also be freeing it can be a good place to practice um, and then finally self reliance and, and creating a, a self and um, kind of understanding what that means to be um, to be true to oneself yeah. um, but Barbara, did you want to talk about some of what we found with the, with the social media? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of the things that we were we were really uh, interested in is whether we could um, use our research to help adolescents who are dealing with high rates of anxiety and depression, which seem to be linked with um, increased use of social media. Yeah. And so we took a look at what yeah what social media is, and you know, basically, social media is a is comparison, right? Yeah. So, um, h- how how many followers do I have versus that person, or you know, who who looks better and, and how many likes did he get or she get versus my post. So it's about comparison. And so we we essentially took a look at that idea and thought about the biology of comparison. And it turns out the biology of comparison is driving anxiety and depression in our adolescents who are heavy users of social media. Yeah. And that same biology of comparison we see in fish and in birds and in other mammals. And Even so, though they're um, probably not on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as we know. Um, but just to give you a tiny little taste of, of the things that we found, it turns out... Um, even when a fish is negatively compared to another fish, mm. um, her brain chemistry changes in ways that um, make her behave mm. a, a kind of like a, a depressed human. And mm. although you can't ask a fish how they feel, it turns out uh, the, the brain biology, uh, uh, the way that brain biology is, is affected by being negatively compared to others, um, we think is a really powerful clue um, as to why social media can be so dangerous, all those yeah, all those comparisons. Here they could be uh, very popular in their school setting or with their fellow teens face-to-face, but they can develop a negative complex based on the Internet. That's <laughs> so right. Mm-hmm. We don't really have time to get into that in detail, but uh, as scary as the risks and foolishness of our teens' activities and actions uh, you point out that uh, the experimentation accomplishes one major purpose in life, and what is that purpose? Well, without the experimentation, I mean, you you, you can't get experience without having experience. So, no, that's for um, sure. every one of the four areas, uh, you know, during adolescence, animals are practicing, and um, we might call it experimentation, or sexual experimentation, or flirting, or but um, whether it's it's trying things that are new, um, being exposed to some danger, uh, you know, all these things are are necessary. And by the way, adolescence is hard across the animal kingdom. Gaining these four skills is is not easy, and so um, human adolescents who are struggling are not alone. No, that's for sure. Well, safety is the first essential challenge that all adolescents must face, whatever their species. As an example, what was the peril that uh, Ursula, the uh, king penguin, faced when she jumped into the water to swim away from her 
Antarctic home to another location. <laughs> well, what Ursula has waiting for her is uh, leopard seals, which uh, are these, I mean, they're beautiful, amazing creatures that, yeah. um, that you know, they actually that they have adolescents of their own too, um, but they uh, they have these giant jaws that are big enough to swallow a basketball, and they <laughs> patrol everywhere that penguins breed, and um, they they know that these penguins that are leaving home for the first time and are inexperienced are the easiest ones to catch. Yeah, and so they kind of they kind of lurk, and they're ambush hunters. Leopard seals are so they. They kind of lurk behind icebergs, or they'll float along in the surf, kind of pretending they're a they're a you know a floating piece of debris, um, and then they they strike when these youngsters come out. Wow, I never considered a seal to be a major predator. <laughs> I like in your book when you point out the uh, the triangle of death in California, where the uh, all these sharks, great white sharks, hang out with the uh, adolescent. Uh, well, sea otters swim out there <laughs> and test right. the waters, <laughs> whereas their uh, adult uh, relatives don't go anywhere near that area. <laughs> What's really um, fascinating about the king penguin example, to go back to Ursula, is that that yeah. first season that they jump in the water, they have a really high mortality rate, right? Oh, they're they're yeah. easy prey, they're predator naive, and yeah, the leopard seals, you know, see them coming and boom. But every year they survive, they gain experience. And every, um, with more experience, they become safer and safer. And their chances of surviving get much, much higher. Huh. And um, this is something that we see so that by the time, you know, in some years, 70% of them won't survive. Huh. Only 30% some years. But then as time goes on, they get more and more competent. And, you know, 90% of them may survive the year. So it's very very similar to what we see um, with young drivers, right? So in the beginning, you know, you 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 know, I remember when I was was driving in the beginning. There's things that you don't see, and as you become a more experienced yeah. driver, right, you you see, you know, on that left hand lane over there, there's something about that the way that guy's driving that doesn't seem right, yeah. and I can't figure out. But I'm, you know, you you develop these instincts that just cumulatively make you safer and. That's something that's that's very much shared with um, animal adolescents. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really fascinating. Well, the second challenge faced by adolescents of all species is to find their place in the hierarchy. <laughs> I know uh, for humans, and I suspect for other animals, you always want to be around people who are popular or other animals who are popular within their their group, so that uh, that rubs off on you. But uh, can you give a? Uh, you have some fascinating examples of animal behavior in your book of seeking this hierarchy. Maybe you can uh, describe one or two of these. Uh, sure. Um, so we use an example. We we actually focus in on hyena society, spotted hyena society, oh. because a hyena society is very status conscious. Lots of <laughs> lots of um, animal groups are, but but hyenas are notoriously uh, status conscious. And hyenas, uh, this particular kind of hyena, it, the, the females are in charge. It's a female-dominated society. Um, but the top status, that is the top-ranking female, she has, you know, better access to food, so better yeah. nutrition, better immune system. Yeah. Her offspring have all kinds of benefits. So they're kind of like uh, princelings, and they, they oh. 
are given, you know, better nutrition and better safety. And then when they are um, engaged in contests to see who the, you know, what their status will be as adults, um, you know, female, these, these hyena mothers, they don't, they don't ascribe to the may the best hyena win philosophy, right? If their <laughs> offspring aren't doing well, they intervene and um, because they know that having higher status is going to benefit their offspring, increase the chances that their offspring will survive and reproduce themselves. What about so the poor hyena of- guys? <laughs> they sort of assigned to a lower class. <laughs> yeah. Like the Indian caste society. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a good point because, you know, actually this idea of status is being based on lots of factors in our our human societies. And, of course, you know, status is based on all kinds of things, beauty, wealth, but also, you know, let's face it, male, female, there's, you know, big differences. But the same kinds of factors work, you know, are are at play in animal societies. They're at play in different ways, but um, similar Phenomenon, and yes, in some animal societies, being a female is is an advantage. Yeah, well, that, uh, they better keep the males around, though, if they want to continue the species. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> certainly, the queen ant rules the the colony of the queen bee. <laughs> well, uh, you also in your book have parts all about sexuality and attracting a mate, and. Uh, also, the uh, self-reliance issue, we don't really have time to get into that, but I'd like to ask a couple of uh, final questions. The first one would be, is your book uh, real scientific? Uh, is it so confusing that uh, most of us laypersons wouldn't want to pick it up and try to understand it? Is, would it be over our heads, or uh, do you have enough in there for the average parent that they could gain a lot out of reading it? Uh, well, that's one of the reasons why we decided to explore the science through the stories of these four really wonderful animals that we uh, that we yeah. got to know over the course of writing the book. Um, and we we worked really hard to um, to make it a, a read that would be enjoyable to anybody um, who is just interested in teens or interested in um, in you know the science behind it both. Yeah. And yeah, you know, we should say that it was. Um, it was based on the on the work that we did uh, academically, but oh. while we were writing it, Barbara and I were also um, parenting adolescents of our own. So, yeah. um, so we were we were you drawing gotta, on our personal you experience. You got to do it to well. uh, really explain it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, read the previews from Amazon, and it's, it's very well written. And certainly, I enjoyed the story of Ursula and all the and of the sea otters out in California and. Uh, <laughs> so I would highly recommend that parents get a hold of it because it's something that definitely uh, they can relate to. So where is the best place for our listeners to go to preview and purchase your book? I assume it's widely available. but uh... It is, yes. It's available anywhere books are sold, Amazon.com, local bookstores, um, Barnes & Noble, anywhere. Well, that's great. Do you... Uh, ladies have some kind of a website where we can go to find out more about you or uh, what... Maybe you look at your other book as well, or uh, what's the best place to go for that? Yes, well, we do. We have a, a website, which is um, wildhood.com, and um, you'll find not only information, more information about wild animal adolescence and particularly how it connects to our own human adolescence. We have um, 
videos of wild animal adolescents uh, trying to do the things that they should be able to do, but they haven't yet figured out yet. So um, it's kind of fun. You know, usually I'd in the wildlife documentary. I'd love to go to that website myself. That yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Well, in conclusion, the, uh, the best way to conclude this segment is a quote from an editorial review. And the following review is from the September 9, 2019 People magazine, which my wife subscribes to. I didn't realize they had your book reviewed in there, but or I certainly would have looked at it. And they say, adolescence isn't just for humans. Here the authors offer up rollicking tales of young animals navigating risk. <laughs> Social hierarchy and sex with all the bravado and uh, dopiness of our teenage beasts. <laughs> and from a uh, an Amazon reviewer, uh, she says, Wildwood sets a framework for understanding adolescence in all creatures with deep scientific integrity and a narrative style that is fully accessible to the layperson. The authors break new ground in explaining the human condition. Bravo to Nickerson, Horowitz, and Bowers. Wildhood is a must-read for all parents and teachers and for all young adults who want a better understanding of their place in the world. And I would add bravo, my uh, second to that, uh, those positive reviews. And after you read Wildhood, I guarantee you as a parent will feel less isolated because you are not alone, we are not alone. All the animals for the past thousands of years have gone through the same challenges that our teenagers are going through. And sure, we all need our, uh, to set limits and protect the safety of your son or daughter and when they're with their friends, uh, but the stress you are experiencing is necessary, and you and your young adult will come out better in the end. Uh, obviously, there's got to be some limits on what they do, but... Uh, Give them some room for experimentation, and I highly recommend you preview and purchase the book of Dr. Beverly Natterson Horowitz and Catherine Bowers, Wildhood, and you uh, you might find comfort and guidance for your teen from their uh, from the strangest places, animals throughout the world. And thanks so much, ladies, for joining us here today, and best of continued success with your book. I understand it's doing very well, but. Uh, continued success. Thank you so much. What a pleasure it was talking to you today. Begin this segment with a question for you. Are you a happy person? And if you answered no, here's a second question. Are you destined to be miserable all your life, or can you uh, condition yourself to be more joyful? Well, here's some great news. My guest, Mr. Joyful Living himself, Jim Ryan, author and workshop leader and public speaker, uh, tells us in his long career attests that happiness and joy are like muscles that every one of us have, muscles that can be strengthened through commitment, dedication, and effort. And Jim's here today to st share characteristics of happy people and uh, simple steps that anyone, uh, folks like you and me included, can learn to incorporate into our lives and regular listeners may recall that Jim Ryan was a prior guest on this program in August of last year, uh, 2018. But I have a report in hand that a few of our listeners, perhaps even you, remain unhappy and down on life. So I've invited him back 
And for those who don't remember here, Jim Ryan's bio, he has served as a motivational uh, coach, including online speaker, a retreat and workshop leader, inspiring tens of thousands all over the country, even folk, uh, prisoners, to live a life full of joy, fulfillment, and success in their own terms. And prior to motivational speaking, Jim was a successful independent financial planner, and Jim is a former Irish Christian brother who spent six years in religious life, so spirituality plays a big uh, part of his message. And he's author of the popular 2014 book, Simple Happiness, 52 Easy Ways to Lighten Up, and two prior books. And as an added bonus, Jim Ryan is an accomplished musician playing his guitar and singing live in his workshops and speeches. And hello, Jim Ryan. It's great to have you back on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Thank you very much, Royce. I'm very happy to be here. Well, you tell us there are eight characteristics of happy people that anyone can learn to incorporate into our, their lives. You don't necessarily have to give us all eight, but can you please give us at least a few of the most important characteristics? Uh, I'd be happy to, Roy. Now, this is one of my signature talks that I give in the public, and and it's really down to earth. It's really about our life, our lives, and people walk out. You know, excited about the possibilities of living a better life. Um, and the idea is to every day be a little happier, a little less disturbable. And if that's your goal, every day just be a yeah. little happier, then things start to work out. And the first characteristic of happy people, Roy, is happy people have the intention to be happy. They want to be happy. <laughs> you, know, they, they, you know, it's so important, you know, because we get what we want for the most part. And I start yeah. off with a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, most folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Oh, that's such a good point. <laughs> you know, we, we, we talk ourselves into and out of things, and many of us are talking ourselves out of being happy. Yeah. It, it's crazy. I don't get it. But that's, you know, it, it's, it's who, who some people are. Yeah, uh, they, they seem to search for excuses of why they should be unhappy and well, somehow justify their unhappiness, and that makes about as much sense as nothing. The second, well, you're, you're right on, Roy. The second characteristic is happy people are responsible for their own happiness. There's no blame game. So many people are blaming their parents, their yeah. situation, their upbringing for their lot in life. Yeah, everybody's got different circumstances that they come from, but right now, you know, we we are responsible for our own happiness. The, yeah. the, the choices that I make determine whether I'm happy or not. And I, I say to people, I am the person that I am standing here in front of you today. It's the result of every choice I've ever made in my life. And that's pretty scary. And people, you know, people want to make an excuse. Oh, Jim, but come on, what about this? What about that? Yeah, okay, everybody's got you know, issues, but yeah. what are you going to do about it? Are you going to moan yeah. and groan about it, or are you <laughs> going to try to do a little better? Yeah. <laughs> No, I like that a little better each day. That that sounds great. Rather than, uh, you know, suddenly being Mr. Joy on one easy day. Well, there's um, no magic. There's no magic, Roy. You know, you know, we've we've come to the, be the people we are by the choices we've made through our lives, by the habits we've developed through our lives, by the patterns of thought that we you know, embrace through yeah. our lives. So those things, that's like an ocean liner. An ocean okay. liner... Hard to turn, but it can turn, and that's 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 our 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 happiness quotient also can turn and come become better. 
Well, you've also warned us of traps we can fall into that lead to perpetual unhappiness. Can you give us a few of these traps? Well, one of them is, is you know, blaming others for their lot in life and, and thinking <laughs> that their problems are, are, you know, just significant to them alone. I, I, yeah. I'm part of an author's group, and there's a woman in the group who teaches at, at a community college. Oh. And she, at the beginning of every semester, hands out a blank piece of paper to the students. Some of them are high school grads. Some of them are older people coming back to get a degree. Yeah. So and she says, on the paper, anonymously, write down your two or three biggest problems. So they all do it. They turn the papers in, and the results are the same year after year after year. Everybody's got the same problems, yeah. the same two or three problems. And But people think their problems are, are significant to them alone. And when people say things, and this is, this is, it's all about self-awareness, Roy. We, yeah. we can do a lot if we're paying attention to how we're doing. When you catch yourself saying, but you don't understand. See, that betrays an attitude that you think your problems are different than anybody else's. And that, yeah. you know, you get, that, that's a starting point. That's a real starting point to realize that my problems are not you know, significant to me alone. Yeah, I think another real good point you make is worrying about what other folks think about us. Well, <laughs> we sit you know, around that, and worry that, all the time about well, that. We, We're we definitely be, be miserable. Yeah, we want to be liked. We want to we want to you know have a uh, be approved of, and sometimes you know that just gets you know ingrained in our mind and in our personality so much that we we lose focus on the power that we have within ourselves. Yeah, yeah. From listening to get rich schemes, you would think that happiness means accumulating as many assets as you possibly can, then living a lavish lifestyle. Uh, does true happiness is, is that related to how much we can accumulate? <laughs> well, that's that's what we're told in our society. You know, yeah. our, our materialistic uh, America is always telling us to have a better car, have a better house, have a better vacation, yeah. and it gets drummed into us, and we start to believe it because that's what we pay attention to. Yeah. And see, that's uh, that's another key point that I try to make to people, and I say energy flows where attention goes. So what you're paying attention to all through the, all through the day is what's going to become real in your life. So if you're, Then we you're resent always, those who have more than us when we start oh, worrying about accumulation. That's it. That's it. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff, Roy. Nothing wrong with no. being successful and having a nice car and a beautiful home and so on. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's where your treasure lies, it could be gone in a second. Yeah, and, so long and we, as you're and not we, driving up and down the street every day just to show off your car to the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty shallow. You know? yeah. But, but you know, the, the, the point is we see so many people who seem to have everything in terms of yeah. material goods. And what are they doing? They're, they're overdosing on drugs. They're killing yeah. themselves. They're divorcing their, yeah. their spouses. And they're miserable. You know, so it's, it's, we're told that that should be our goal. But in reality, it, 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 it's, it's missing the point. That's a big mistake that people make. Yeah. Well, I know from personal experience that no one renews their life or finds joy at midstream in a vacuum, especially if folks around you remain miserable. Isn't it true that one of the most sure-fired paths to a life of joy is doing things you like doing, but also that will help someone else uh, become happier and fulfilled. 
Well, that's, again, that's another one of the characteristics. Happy people, they know what makes them happy, and they find time to do it. We all have abilities. We all have likes and dislikes. Yeah. You know, I always ask the question to my audiences, who has something that they love to do, and when they're involved in it, time flies by? And people raise their hands. Some people say gardening. Some people say reading. Some people say yeah. working out. And that's important, to have something that you like to do, because it lowers your stress. It gives you something to look forward to. Yeah. And then I say, I always notice three things. Number one, when somebody raises their hand to share, their face lights up. They can't hide the joy that they experience. Number two, I say, every, I got four people raise their hand. We have four different activities that they like to do, and that's the way it should be because we're all individuals. Yeah. And I say, you know what the third thing I always notice? A lot of people didn't raise their hand. You know, and that gets a laugh. But but some people don't know what makes them happy. They're just no. you know living a, a low a, a life by default and without really you know observing themselves and trying to enjoy themselves. Yeah, but you can't really be ecstatic and joyful if your spouse is down in the dumps all the time and miserable, and if you do everything just for yourself without doing things to make him or her happy. That's it. A that's a real challenge, Roy. I mean, yeah. I I wish I had the answer to that one because that that's see again. A lot of people use this as a, as a, a an excuse, and 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 you know, and there's some reality to it. But again, you can't let other people determine your life. You know, you got to no, somehow figure out a way to to have some joy in your life without. Yeah. You know, disrupting your life and and your spouse's life. You know, so yeah. it's possible counseling, reading, loving, expressing care. You know, people can change. One of the things is get my book, give read read my book, and give it to your spouse, or yeah. read some chapters together. So it's yeah. not you talking down to her. It's a third party giving some you know some counsel that that's easily understood and easily put into practice. Well, in your book and in your speeches, you tell us that every one of us has a natural state of mind that is peaceful, successful, low stress, and joyful. Given that, why is it that so many of us are miserable and unfulfilled? We know that comes down to meditation, you know, and I always... I, I really recommend daily meditation. And, it, and meditation doesn't have to be anything oppressive. It just means sitting quietly, and, you know, breathing, yeah. and just letting your, mind, letting your thoughts, you know, noticing your thoughts and letting them go. Notice your thoughts, letting them go. See, people think their thoughts are their life. That's a big component of my work is, is understanding that your thoughts are not you. They're just thoughts, and we can yeah. let the negative ones go. But it takes practice because, again, we, we have, uh, just like we have our natural state of mind where it's all good and peaceful and loving, we also have our thought systems, which we've developed over the years, our, our way of looking at the world, our way of, yeah. you know, you know and, and it's not easy to overcome. I, everything I say, Roy, is simple. But a lot of them are not easy because, yeah. <laughs> you know, people say, well, that's who I am. That's how I've always done it. Well, you know, there is possibilities to have a better life. Yeah. Simple and easy are not always the same thing. Absolutely. Pointed out. Well, uh, the subtitle of your book is 52 Easy Ways to Lighten Up, and we obviously don't have time to go through all 52. But can you please give us a couple of first steps that listeners could take if they want to be happier? Yes, yes, I can. 
I mean, the book is – people love the book, Roy. It's got, you know, it says 52 easy ways. There's 52 short chapters, very yeah. easy to read. Even people who, who don't like to read have read the book and found value in it. Yeah, um, I love that, that organization. Yeah, there's, the first part is the basics. And, and the basics, we talk about our thoughts. And they're just thoughts. And the second part is, what, what can we think about? And we try to expand our consciousness. Number one is, it's a long, it's a long life. You know, don't think your life is over because you haven't achieved something that you want to achieve. It's a long life. Yeah, that's such a trap to fall into. Yeah, people think they're done. People think, I'm too old. I, I, you know, like, I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough money. Ah, come on. That's just all excuses. Yeah. And, uh, then the third one is take a look at yourself. See, we've got to we've got to look inside ourselves and be honest and 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 compassionate. See, compassion is a huge huge element here too. It's yeah. nice to be compassionate to others, but but so often we're not so compassionate to ourselves. <laughs> Amen. We got to give ourselves a break. You know, come yeah. on, we're doing the best we can, but stop beating yourself up. Yeah, if you can't be compassionate to yourself, you probably won't be much good to anyone else. Well, that's that's it. We get so angry and, and stuck with ourselves that it's hard to hard to be, you know, see the possibilities. You know, all we see is the clouds. We don't see the rays of sun coming through. But if we lighten up a little bit and and uh, take, you know, don't get take ourselves so seriously, things good things can happen. Yeah. Well, where's the best place for our listener to go to preview and purchase your book, Simple Happiness? Well, you can go to my website. There's a lot of good stuff on my website, Roy. JimRyanTalks.com. Yeah. That's my name followed by T-A-L-K-S.com. You can get the book there. It's also available on Amazon. You know, you can get it on Amazon as a soft cover book. You can get it as an as an uh, e-book, a Kindle yeah. book. So it's, I know uh, from your website, I also wanted to point out this great uh free offer you have of aha moments that a listener can sign up for. Tell us a little about those. <laughs> well, every Wednesday, Roy, I send out what I call an aha moment. It's an uplifting thought, something positive to help you get through the week, and they're free. You can go to my website, jimryantalks.com. Right on the front page, there's a place to enter your email address. You know, Put it in there. You'll get on my list, and you'll hear you know, from me every Wednesday. That's um, a great yeah. thing to have on hump day. <laughs> Well, that's it. I, 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 I just do it once a week. I don't want to make people crazy because email no. can get nuts. But once a week, we need a lift. That hump yeah. day, you know, we need we need something positive to uh, to think about, and that yeah. they're great people. I'm up to number five hundred and ninety one. I've been doing wow. these for over ten years, <laughs> and you I got come up with that many. I got thousands uh, of people. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, it's a challenge to me to come up with something new every week, but I love yeah. it. You know, it, it keeps me yeah. on my toes. It's a positive challenge. Well, to conclude, if your life today is not filled with joy, positive thinking, why the heck not? You can't tell me you enjoy being miserable and unfulfilled and blaming someone else or circumstances beyond your control for unhappiness doesn't really help much, does it? And uh, like thousands of others already have, why not trust Jim Ryan when he tells you that every one of us, including you, has a choice, both the choice and the responsibility for reaching a state of perpetual happiness, and it may be far easier than you think. And if you want to uh, change and lighten up your life for the better, right now I highly recommend you get a hold of Jim's book, Simple Happiness, or uh, perhaps uh, sign up for one of his speeches or workshops. 
and what have you got to lose? And thanks, Jim Ryan, for joining us here today. And uh, you folks out there, if you don't didn't respond to Jim's advice a year ago, let's hope you do so now. And Jim, best of success in all that you do. Roy, you're you got a great show and you're a great host, and I appreciate the opportunity. So I invite everybody to take your advice and and go to my website, get my book. You you'll yeah. love it. Yeah, well, best of success in all that you do, and that's our program for today. Tune in again next week, and in the interim, keep in mind at all times, middle age can be your best age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 